Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our Good Friday service. You know, Good Friday is an extremely important service. Like next to Resurrection Sunday, this, I would say, would be the most important service of the year. You, know, you can't have the benefit of the resurrection without the death on the cross of Calvary two days before, so three days before. You know, it's important that we um, take some time on uh, Good Friday here to reflect on the, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should be reflecting on this on a regular basis, quite frankly. We should always have the cross of Christ before us. Um, but certainly on Good Friday, uh, it's a time for us to focus even more on that. As we begin, let's hear the words of Jesus Christ on the cross, right, uh, right before his death, there in, in uh, Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Let's begin in prayer. Father, we want to spend some time here today on this Good Friday, remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Lord, we need to let what he did impact us. We need to let what he did change our lives. We need to embrace uh, the message of the cross today and every day as Christian people. Father, we turn to the scriptures today to learn from them what you have for us. Cause us, Lord, to reflect on this great sacrifice, to appreciate all that you have done for us and your great love for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin um, today by actually reading a portion of scripture from the Old Testament. It is one of the most important scriptures in the whole Old Testament, uh, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a very important book, prophetic book. Um, it's almost like a mini Bible within the Bible. It's 66 books just like the Bible, 66 books. It's divided in two halves, the first 39 books, uh, which is like the Old Testament has 39 books, and then there's 27 chapters after that, so, um, or books after that um, in the New Testament. So you've got 66 chapters in Isaiah, you have 66 books in the Bible. The dividing line is 39 and 27. A lot of similarities there. Also, um, there's one particular passage in the book of Isaiah that speaks more about the crucifixion of Christ than anything else in the old, whole Old Testament. What's amazing is it was written 750 years before the death of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read these verses to you. They might be familiar to many of you. From Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verse 13, and we're going to read right to the end of chapter 53. Uh, and there is such vivid imagery. You would think that Isaiah was an eyewitness of the crucifixion of Christ. Of course, he wasn't. He was writing this 750 years or so before the death of Christ. Uh, there's been some dispute. Did these chapters uh, get added in later on? No. I was in Israel in 1998. I went to the Museum of the Scroll, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are housed, and I went and looked at the scroll of Isaiah, and sure enough, this portion of Isaiah is definitely in there. Uh, this was not a late edition. Let's hear these incredible verses to prepare our hearts for uh, communion, which we will celebrate later in this service. I hope you have your communion elements ready. We are going to celebrate the Lord's table. Let's hear these incredible verses now from Isaiah chapter 52, starting at verse 13, and we'll go to the end of chapter 53. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them, 
they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. For he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That is a powerful portion of scripture. Uh, I encourage you to reflect on it a little bit more, maybe later today, you know, on this Good Friday, you know, after our service is concluded. Take some quiet moments and reread those verses in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, starting verse 13, going to the end of chapter 53. Striking imagery of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, yet written some 750 years before it even happened. God's word is powerful. It's intact. God had a plan. And boy, uh, very clearly portrayed there in the book of Isaiah. We're going to... Uh, just have a few moments of prayer here as we reflect on a passage that um, I trust will con convict us and challenge us. Uh, I'm entitling our, our message today, um, We All Need a Crucifixion. We need to have our flesh, our flesh and our, our values that are so worldly, these need to be crucified. They need, need to be put to death so that we live for Christ. We need a crucifixion. Let's just pray and um, Ask the Lord to help us with that before we go into his word, shall we? Lord, we thank you that on this day, Good Friday, we remember the crucifixion of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We know that he was innocent. He was a spotless lamb of God. Isaiah said so there in Isaiah 53. We know, though, Lord, that he became a sinner for us. He took our sins upon him. 
so that we wouldn't have to bear them and bear the punishment for that. But Lord, our flesh needs to be crucified. We need to have our desires and our, our lusts crucified and put to death so that we can live for you. Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, through this passage of Scripture now? Help us to identify with this Apostle Peter and his failings and his foibles. Help us to see ourselves in some of his mistakes and realize that we, like him, need to have a crucified Savior to take our sins away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read for you a passage that only Luke's Gospel uh, records about Peter. And I kind of feel bad for Peter. You know, this time of year, he gets a bad rap. You know, he, you got to keep reading in the New Testament, of course, to appreciate what God did in Peter's life in the book of Acts. But for now, we have to learn from his mistakes. And um, it's quite amazing here in Luke chapter 22. Uh, you can turn there if you have your Bible, if you like. We're going to start with uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 54 to verse 62. And um, tells about the instant of what Peter had in those last moments as Jesus was on trial. And uh, there's some key things here uh, that Peter did that he shouldn't have done that we can learn from, uh, learning from his mistake. Let's go there to Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 54 to 62. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while another saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want to ask you a question. Do you appreciate what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary? What are you willing to give up in your life to prove your commitment to him? You might be saying, oh, I'm, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm committed to him. If it was tested... And you had to prove your commitment to Jesus Christ. Just how far would you be willing to go to prove that commitment? Or would you bail like Peter did? Before we get into Peter's situation and break this down, let me tell you a story. There was a man, a pastor from Romania, who lived during the Second World War. He was very outspoken about his faith, did not deny Jesus, spoke boldly about him. He had a ministry of helping uh, people who were taken to the prison camps in Nazi Germany. He even ministered to members of the, uh, the Soviet Red Army. And uh, he had just a great ministry helping people during the Second World War. The World War II ended, and this pastor um, was uh, given an opportunity to have a public platform to speak. And it was by the communist government of Romania that he was given this platform. And he got up to the microphone when it was his turn, and he boldly and openly declared 
that communism was not going to help anybody. People needed Jesus Christ. It wasn't long after this bold and public proclamation that Reverend Richard Wormbrand was arrested. February the 29th, 1948, he was arrested. He was immediately brought to this gulag and he was put in solitary confinement for three years. Never saw any, he was pulled away from his family. His wife was later also incarcerated. Their, their infant son was uh, orphaned there. Our family took him in, uh, thank God. But um, he was in solitary confinement. The only people he ever saw, and he didn't see them very often, were his communist captors. He was brutally tortured. There was marks all over his body. Uh, he later got out and testified, and, and he brought awareness of uh, this um, in, in the later years of his life. Wormbrand was not ashamed to testify of Jesus Christ. He did not deny Jesus when the chips were down and, and, and his life was on the line. He boldly spoke out for him. He was committed to Jesus and wasn't turning back. There's a book written about his life that you might want to pick up, um, Tortured for Christ. It's well worth reading. You won't be able to put it down, quite frankly. You know, Peter had also made a bold proclamation, um, like Wormbrand. The only problem is that he didn't follow through, as Wormbrand did. You know, back at the Lord's Supper, which was only a few hours before this incident that I just read, you know, Jesus had, had been you know, sharing the Seder meal with his uh, followers. Uh, he was explaining that uh, things are going to happen afterward and, you know, talking about his, his crucifixion. And Peter made a very bold uh, proclamation in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. Let me start at verse 31 because Jesus predicted Peter's denial before it happened. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. See, he used Peter's first name there. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Well, that's, that's pretty shocking. I don't know what Peter must have felt at that, mo that moment. You know, no, Lord, what are you talking about? I, I'm ready to, I'm, I'm committed to you. I'm ready to go to prison. I'll die even if I have to. Jesus countered that bold statement by saying, I wish that was the truth, but actually, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but actually three different times. And that's exactly what happened. Let's look at verse 54 from our text. Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Here's the first problem with Peter. His bold claims in the company of friends around that Seder meal in that upper room, that's long vanished. It's evaporated quickly, and it's only been a few hours later. Now Peter is following at a distance. You know, when Peter, uh, Peter and the rest of them were in the garden with Jesus, and Jesus was arrested, the Bible tells us that they all forsook him and fled. But then Peter kind of made his way back, but he kept a healthy distance. You know, he social distanced there so that he wouldn't be implicated with the, uh, with the others. They'd all fled, but he didn't want anyone to know that he was a follower of Jesus. I hope that doesn't describe you. You don't do that, do you? I mean, when you're in church and everyone's singing the songs and everyone around you is all, you know, excited about following the Lord, you know, it's, it's easy to say I'm a follower of Christ there, but when you're in your workplace or in your school, uh, and people are putting down the things of God, and maybe making fun of Christian people, 
do you kind of shrink back and follow from a distance so that you hope people don't know that you're a follower of Jesus? Or you say, you know something, actually, not what you're saying is true, not everything. Uh, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of it. Would you stand up and say that? There's a good verse in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. I don't want to read it to you. Because it talks about this whole idea of whose opinion do we worry about more? The opinions of other people or the opinion of the Lord? Listen to what uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I want to read it to you in two different, more modern versions that seem to say it really, really well. Proverbs 29, verse 25. This is from uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. I like that. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. You know, if we're worried about what people think all the time, it's going to disable our faith. Our faith will not be active. It will not be growing. It will not be prospering. Uh, here uh, is that same verse in the Common English Bible. Again, I'm reading from Proverbs 25, sorry, 29, verse 25. People are trapped by their fear of others. Those who trust the Lord are secure. See, when we worry more about what other people think than what God thinks, it's a trap. And when we take that bait, <clears throat> we're going to fall into that trap and we're going to suffer for it. Verse 55 from our text um, says here, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down, sorry, sat down together, Peter sat among them. Peter warmed himself in the world's firelight. He was comfortable with the things of the world. That's what that, that sort of image gives me, that he was okay being around these other mockers and accusers and people that were, um, who would later, at the crucifixion of Jesus, be mocking and jeering and calling for his, his death. He was okay hanging out with them. Let me ask you something. What kind of company did you keep? Who are the people that you hang out with? Um, are these people drawing you closer to God, or are they pulling you further away? Let me give you a verse. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Apostle Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. You might have good morals. You may have convictions that you follow. But then somehow when you get around people that do not share those convictions, do those morals collapse? Are you having an effect on them? Or are they having an effect on you? In Peter's case, he spoke out boldly at the Lord's Supper that he was going to go to prison or even die for Jesus. But only a few hours later, in the weakness of his flesh, there he is following Jesus from a distance because he doesn't want people knowing that he's a follower. And now he's warming his hands. He's keeping company with worldly people that are drawing him even further away from his Lord. Another verse, verse 57 so, so far we see that Peter's following at a distance. We see that he's keeping company with, with the world, and so he's, he's being drawn away from God. Now verse 57. But he, that's Peter, but he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. I want to tell you something about that word deny. In the Greek uh, text, that word has a double meaning. The, the first meaning is to refuse to recognize someone or something. So if I deny that I know you, I'm saying I refuse to recognize you. I'm, I'm, I say, I, I don't know who you are. The second meaning of that word is that I do not want to be 
in solidarity with you. In other words, I don't want to be implicated in the crime. If you're being accused of something, I don't want people thinking that I'm your buddy. Uh, so that I don't want to be implicated in the same crime. So here's Peter. He says, I don't know who Jesus is. Never seen the guy before in my life. And please do not associate me with him. That's terrible. A few hours earlier, I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. Now he's saying, I don't even know who this person is. Never heard of him before in my life. And please do not put me in the same sentence as him because I don't want to be implicated in his crime. He has completely distanced himself from the one he claimed he served and was committed to. Are you doing that? Because it's one thing to say you follow Jesus. It's quite another to do it in the midst of people who are going to uh, make it very inconvenient for you, make it very painful for you. Remember Reverend Richard Wormbrand in those gulags in Romania suffered horribly. You know, in solitary confinement for, for three years, didn't see his family, hardly saw a human face except for the, the odd time seeing one of his human uh, captors there, communist captors. He never distanced himself from the Lord. He drew closer. You know, it's funny because when we um, see someone that's our good friend and they get into a peck of trouble, all of a sudden we want to walk away from it. If you're familiar with the movie, A Christmas Story, it's one of our family's favorite Christmas movies, but, you know, Ralphie there, they're on the playground at, uh, at their school uh, some winter morning before Christmas, and, and uh, there's a little uh, John going on there, and uh, uh, someone triple dog dares Ralphie's friend Flick to put his tongue on a steel pole and uh, say, you know, because he says, oh, that's nonsense, and says, oh, I triple dog dare you. It's going to stick to the pole. So Flick with a little bit of fear and trepidation, goes through with it, and you know what happens. His tongue sticks to the pole. The bell rings, recesses over, the kids got to go to class, and they all take off on Flick. They leave him there. They get into class. After they get into their seats, put their coats away, the teacher says, well, where's Flick? Meanwhile, he's out on the playground, and the, the, the narrator for Ralphie's voice says, Flick? Flick who? <laughs> Suddenly, we don't know who this guy is because he's in trouble, and I don't want to be implicated in the crime. You know? That's a terrible thing. Your friends, my friends, they should be able to count on us. You know, if someone stands up for their faith and someone else belittles them, you should be able to, they should be able to count on you to stand up for them. That wasn't the case with Peter and Jesus. He didn't stand up for his Savior. This passage ends on what I think is just the saddest note. Only Luke's gospel records this. Verse 62. After the third denial, the cock crows exactly as Jesus had predicted. And then verse 60, sorry, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You need to understand, Peter was in the courtyard below. Jesus was in like a second story room with an open window where Peter could see, and the others too, could see what was going on. They may not have been able to hear everything that was going on, but they could see Jesus and the, and the, the, the authorities there that were questioning him. And when Peter denied for the third time that he knew Jesus or had anything to do with him and the rooster crowed, right there the Lord turned and had eye contact with Jesus. I don't know what you would think. If that was you, if you were Peter, how you'd be feeling at that moment. I think all of us would be feeling lower than the snake's belly. We had made a commitment earlier in the evening, I'm speaking of Peter, but identifying with him. We made a commitment early in the evening. I, you can count on me. I'll go to prison, even death with you if I have to. And then 
in a blink of an eye, I want nothing to do with them. I don't want anyone knowing that I had, I had anything to do with them. Not once, not twice, three times. And then now I have to face Jesus face to face, knowing I've, I, I denied him. And he knows it, and I know it. What an awful thing. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't walking the earth today and will look you right in the eye and when you've denied him? Oh, wait. There is a time when we have to face Jesus and look him in the eye and tell him we denied him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One version says that each one may be recompensed for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me make a clarification here. There's, there's two judgment seats, one in Re uh, Revelation chapter 20, which is the great white throne judgment. That's where a person who's not a believer, not a, a, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, will face judgment and be declared guilty and go to the lake of eternal fire uh, that fire burns with fire and brimstone, eternal death. It's an awful thing. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment seat that believers, people who have accepted Christ as Savior, they're going to go to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. But we still have to give an accounting for what we did while we were living on this earth. And so there it is. We have to give an accounting of all that we've said and done, whether good or bad. There's going to be a recompense. Let me conclude this message with some good news. Because so far, whew, it's been a heavy. You know, there is a solution to us being able to walk and follow Christ and not deny him. Be like Reverend Richard Wormbrand. Have a devout faith and uh, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a painful thing that we have to go through to get to that point. It's called a crucifixion. Yes, Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. We won't be crucified for our sins. Jesus took our place already, so we're not going to be adding to that. What was done at Calvary was a finished work that he did for us. Nevertheless, there's a daily living that you and I have as followers of Jesus where we must daily crucify our flesh. I like the way the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He's saying, imagine yourselves being up on the cross with Christ, crucified, because I need to have my passions, my lusts, my, my worldly desires, the things that take me away from God. I need to have those crucified. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but there's a daily uh, purposeful living that we must do where we, as it were, crucif be, be crucified with Christ. We dedicate ourselves wholly and in a fresh way every day to right living before God. And we can only do this through the strength which Christ gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Peter, there's a good ending to Peter's story. You know, he went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. And then Jesus rose again. And, and yeah, we've read the end of the story. You know, he appears to him as the risen Savior. Uh, and Peter is empowered. And uh, 50 days after that, He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He becomes a completely different man. If you read in the book of Acts, you're going to find a different Peter than the one you find in the gospel account. A man whose life has been turned around by the, his risen Savior. 
um, a life that made a difference and changed the lives of many, many people because he lived with the Lord. But you and I can be like Peter too. We can, we can have our flesh crucified, put it on the altar, and let Jesus live in us and uh, lead us into a life of righteous living. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can be crucified with Christ by believing in him for what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. We learn from Peter's mistakes today. We don't want to follow you at a distance like he did. We don't want to get chummy-chummy with the world and have it draw us away from our affection for Christ. And we certainly don't want to deny that we know you and that we're one of your followers. God, we're not going to be able to do this on our own. We need the help that the Holy Spirit gives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave us the Holy Spirit after you left this earth. And he will help us to become more devout followers of Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect on these things this day, this Good Friday, and into this uh, Easter weekend as we can journey our way from the cross to the empty tomb and, and uh, see our risen Savior and live for him. Help us to think on these things today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's appropriate for us on this Good Friday to celebrate the Lord's table. I hope you have your elements ready. Let's go and celebrate the Lord's table now, shall we?